Mesdames et Messieurs, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles Daniel MacDonald on World Radio Paris and Monaco. Brought to you in association with Force Magazine. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio France brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show exclusively for the WRP Network. Coming up in today's show, I'll be investigating the not-so-secret life of Monsieur Dior's original muse, his war heroine sister, plus a special look into the sweet smell of success with top Parisian perfumer Delphine Jelk. Superstars such as Natalie Portman and Charlize Theron have been the face of Dior, but the original inspiration for the fashion house was a French resistance fighter who was more at home in a plain shirt and trousers. Brave Jeanette Catherine Dior, the little sister of founder Christiane, took on the Nazis and survived capture, torture and a concentration camp. Dior's muse is played by Game of Thrones star Maisie Williams in the new Apple TV Plus series, The New Look, which reveals how her amazing story spurred her brother to create his most famous perfume and the floral design of his iconic 1949 dress. Born in France in 1917, Catherine was 12 years younger than Christiane and his favourite sibling. In the drama, which also stars Ben de Mendelsohn as Dior and Juliette Binoche as his fashion rival Coco Chanel, Catherine has shown us his baby in the arms of her loving mother, as Christian promises to always look after her. Their mother passed away in 1931, and in 1936 they moved from the family home in Provence to Paris, where Christiane began designing clothes while Catherine sold hats and gloves in a boutique. Biographer Justine Picardy writes in her book, Miss Dior, A Story of Courage and Couture. Christian and Catherine remained close, sharing the love of flowers from their mother and a mutual passion for art and music. Catherine was, by all accounts, his very first model. She devoted her spare time to Christian's sewing projects when he was hired by top designer Robert Piget in 1938 and later Couturier Lucien Lelong the boss of other big names in fashion, such as Pierre Balma and Cristobal Balenciaga. The then-teenager, with her curly jet-black hair, is seen in black-and-white photograph studios, posing in chic dresses and sparkling jewellery put together by Christian in his studio. Catherine told biographer Marie-France Poncha, My brother loved designing costumes for me, with raffia skirts covered with shells, or hand-painted with Scottish motifs. But when war broke out in 1939, the wife of the youngest of the four Dior siblings changed forever as France fell into Nazi occupation. While buying a radio in November 41, listening to band broadcasts from exiled resistance leader General Charles de Gaulle, she met married French resistance officer Hervé de Charbonnier. The pair fell in love and Catherine joined him in F2, a network with ties to British and Polish intelligence. As part of their efforts to sabotage the Nazis, she would deliver messages to and from London, as well as along the south of France, the coast and Paris. Only 1% of the French population was courageous enough to join the resistance, and on one occasion she hid incriminating material from the Gestapo during a raid. In 
As her role grew, Catherine moved the entire operation to her big brother's apartment in occupied Paris, across the street from Maxim's restaurant, where German officers would dine with French collaborators. Christian knew that he was at risk by helping her, but defected attention by designing dresses for the wives of the Nazi elite. But on June 6, 1944, Catherine was arrested by the Gestapo and tortured for information, often passing out. She later told war crime investigators, I lied to them as much as I could. I was subjected to an interrogation on my activities for the resistance, and the interrogation was accompanied by the usual brutalities. There was punching, kicking and slapping, and when they found my answers unsatisfactory, I was taken to a bathroom, undressed, bound, and at the hands, plunged into water. When she failed to offer information after weeks of torture, she was placed on one of the final trains to Ravensbrück Women's Concentration Camp, just ten days before the liberation of Paris. From the camp in North Germany, which had a death toll of up to 90,000, she was moved to Torjo's slave labour camp, then to one in Abertoda, and finally another one in Markelberg. Alongside other captured French women, she was made to sleep in cold cement floors, where there were no latrines, 12-hour shifts on demand, minimal rations, and regular beatings from SS guards. Meanwhile, Christian was working hard with the strange in the Swedish consul, trying to get Catherine freed. He even resorted to clairvoyant Madame Delaye, who kept him informed and hopeful that Catherine was still alive. Under the fortune teller's advice, he devoted himself to his work. He wrote in his memoir, I exhausted myself in vain trying to trace her. Work was the only drug which enabled me to completely forget her. In April 1945, Allied forces were advancing across Europe, while British and US forces liberated Bergen Belsen and Buchenwald concentration camps. Prisoners like Catherine and the remaining camps were evacuated by SS officers forced to walk despite exhaustion and illness. During this death march, Catherine escaped near Dresden on the 21st of April 1945. She made it to Paris by late May, so emaciated that her brother failed to recognise her at first. With her head shaved, body beaten black and blue, and suffering from severe PTSD, she took months upon months to recover. Christian nursed Catherine back to health eventually and held off opening his own couture house until 1946, when she was completely back on her feet. She was then soon working behind the scenes to bring justice to war victims. Picardy wrote, She gave nothing away of her own wartime experiences, and she was always discreet. She didn't want to be pitied, she wanted to be the captain of her own soul. Catherine refused to flow any lavish celebrations when she was awarded the Croix de Guerre, normally reserved for the bravest of the armed forces. She was later honoured with the Commandant Volunteer Cross of the Resistance, the Commandant's Cross, and was named a member of the Legion of Honour, 
France's highest order of merit. Britain also honoured her with the King's Medal for Courage in the cause of freedom. Catherine's godson called Picardie, she could not bear to hear German voices and even the sight of cars bearing German number plates on the roads in France would make her angry and upset. She started selling roses on Paris's Les Alles market, prompting Christian to come up with a rose-scented perfume which he sprayed all over the models of his first post-war collection in 1947. He was with a business associate wondering what to call the fragrance when Catherine entered the room prompting them to exclaim Voilà Miss Dior, sealing its name. The perfume became a huge success and Christian continued to use Catherine as his muse. Two years later, he re-released his 1949 collection, Miss Dior Dress, covered in hand-stitched silk roses, jasmines and gardenias. Dior recalled in his memoir, As a result of the war in uniforms, women still looked and dressed like Amazons, but I designed clothes for women, flower-like women, rounded shoulders, full and feminine busts, and hand-span waists above enormous spreading skirts. Picardy added, with her job dealing in cutting flowers, Catherine literally became the flower woman that inspired Christian in his ultimate design. She's part imagery, part mystior, the one that represents freedom and love after the ugliness of war. When Christian suddenly died of a heart attack in 1957, Catherine gave up her floristry business and moved to the countryside to cultivate roses for Dior's perfume a job she continued to do until she died, aged 91, in 2008. And she kept her brother's memory alive, becoming honorary president of the Christian Dior Museum and safeguarding his artistic legacy. Despite being a wartime heroine, she got little attention from the French media. Picardy concluded, It's as though the world of haute couture had no concern for a woman such as Catherine Dior, or for her suffering, nor whether her experiences had played a part in a brother's legendary vision. The new book will stream on Apple TV early this year. Delphine Gel- Gellan's nose is located in the penultimate floor of a historic building next to La Samaritan department store. Above, on the top floor, is her laboratory, a space with large windows overlooking the four cardinal points of Paris. Notre Dame, Sacré-Cœur. Curiously, the workshop where Maison Gellan's fragrances are created has no particular smell. My team and I don't wear perfumes when we work, as they can interfere with our creative process. It's better to have no outside smells, explains Jelk, one of France's great perfumiers who, in 2021, received the Order of Arts and Letters, granted by the Ministry of Culture, for her extraordinary olfactory knowledge. Although using perfumes is forbidden here, Jelk makes an exception to what has tried the Lily Plain scent for her latest creation of Art de la Matrie, Guerlain's Haute Perfumery Collation. In an instant, with a vibrant burst of neroli, the essence of orange blossom sweeps through the laboratory, 
with the fresh aroma of orange which is shaken by the spicy heat of cimarron, turmeric and ginger. Finally, the trail delivers a powerful woody note of vertier. It's like travelling to the Sahara and it's the magic of a perfume who always dreamed of being an alchemist. As a child, I fantasised about creating magic potions and here I am. After finishing high school in Freilberg, she considered studying pharmacy, but currently opted for fashion design at the Higher School of Fashion Arts and Techniques in Paris, where the same designers like Olivier Roustan and Simon Port-Jacques were trained. However, the world of fragrances never ceased to spark Jacques' curiosity. For her graduation project, a men's ready-to-wear line based on cashmere and linen, she created a multi-sensory show in which each garment was associated with a scent. Her proposal did not go unnoticed, and after graduating, she received two job offers, one to design clothes at Martin Margiela's atelier, and another to be a researcher of olfactory trends at Fermiench, the Swiss giant who dominates the perfume and flavour business. I took the second one. Every morning, a senior perfumer had me smell raw materials. One day, he gave me a bottle of triplal, a herbaceous, creepy green aroma, very similar to that of pine or freshly cut grass. It carried me, I don't know where, but it carried me. That's when I thought, I want to dedicate myself to this, to creating fragrances that carry and transport people. She spent a year training at the Grass Institute of Perfumery, where they only accept seven students per course, surrounded by master perfumers and lavender fields. Philippe Romano, one of the most prominent figures in the sector, sponsored her, and a few years later, she began to collaborate with Guillain. Her first creation for the house was Le Petit Hope Noir, which became a bestseller and Jack's golden ticket to the Maison. Since then, the Swiss-born perfumier has been working with Thierry Wasler on the creation of new fragrances, capable of linking the legacy and tradition of the Parisian house with modernity. Jill considers her mission to be interpreting the style of the brand, founded in 1821. I am always looking for inspiration in the archives, but I have a lot of freedom, she explains. She also responds to art and literature. She came up with the idea for her new perfume, Neroli Plain Sud, after reading Southern Mail, Antoine de Saint-Epicurie's 1929 novel, in which the aviator and writer recounts his epic first mail deliveries to the Southern Hemisphere, passing through Spain, Morocco and Mauritius. to recreate the experience of a sand light flying over the Moroccan orange groves and the desert. It seemed like a nice tribute to Vol de Nuit, the perfume that Jacques Guerlain created 90 years ago, which was also inspired by the flights of some Epicurie, she explains. It took Jelt eight months to create Nerli Plansud. The creative journey that began with a copy of Southern Mail continued in Kashimet, Morocco where she toured the orange groves with Sam Epicry once grew over.
a singularly powerful orange blossom glows there, busting with sunlight and whipped by the winds of the Atlas Mountains. Grown organically and harvested by hand, it emits a vapour that produces a very valuable neroli essence. The perfumer keeps her travel journal in her office, and it's rammed with doodles, notes and inspirations. On one page, the formula of her new perfume is written down. I can't show it, it's secret, and she excuses herself. The Neroli Plain Suit edition is limited, as there are only 1,000 bottles available worldwide, and each one costs $590. The Antoine de Saint-Espoucherie Foundation, chaired by Olivier Garginet, the Aveta's great-nephew, participated fully in the creative process. It was conceived as a travel diary, and the case is decorated with original sketches taken from personal documents and manuscripts. The bottle itself is adorned with a collector's plate. But it's not the most unique creation Jelk has been involved with. Her laboratory, custom-made perfumes are also designed and sold from €125,000. She explains, More and more people want to have their own personal olfactory signature, just for them and no one else. Each custom creation is delivered in a personalised trunk made by by the Moyant House. Inside, there is a one-litre bottle decorated with the brand's iconic honeycomb, hand-painted with fine gold. This legendary bottle, manufactured for 170 years by the Pochet de Corval Grassworks, was designed in 1853 to contain the Imperial Eau de Cologne created for the Empress Eugenie. Six 100mm spray bottles and 40 30mm travel bottles, all refillable, complete the luxurious and decadent set. Each assignment is a new challenge for Jelk and Thierry Wasser. A few years ago, a wealthy client commissioned them to create a custom-made fragrance that only she could wear, but also her six daughters. She wanted all her daughters to wear the same fragrance even after her death, recalls the perfumer. That is, for her, the sheer essence of her job. A perfume, unlike a piece of clothing, is not for a single season. Ideally, it's for the rest of your life. Finally, Moschino today announced that Buenos Aires-born Adrian Aplolaza as its new creative director. The highly regarded Argentine, 51, is understood to have recently moved to Milan from Paris in order to fine-tune the first collection and to be shown under his name this month. Aplolazzo's appointment at Moschino takes him to be the successor of the Italian designer David René, who died suddenly in November, only ten days after starting in the new role. Massimo Ferretti, the executive chairman of Moschino's officer group, Adeo, said in a statement, Adrian brings with him a unique wealth of experience, creativity and knowledge of the history of fashion that will be instrumental to write a wonderful new chapter in the adventure of the brand founded by Franco Moschino. In the same comique, 
A Palazzo added, I am deeply grateful to Massino Ferretti for allowing me to access the world of Moschino, as well as entry into a house whose walls exclude a history I am eager to hear. I am ready to transport the Maison into a new chapter, with a theatrical touch, in the pure style of Moschino. Apiolazza has long been tipped to helm a house after a varied and distinguished apprenticeship below the creative decks. His most recent birth was at Loewe, where he served as ready-to-wear design director for 10 years. Prior to that, he worked under Claire Wright Keller for two years during her underestimated stint at Chloe, following two years under Marc Jacobs at Louis Vuitton, and four years under Muchia Prada at Miu Miu, which he joined back in 2006. It was Fried Filo who changed the course of my career. While working as a junior designer at Alexander McQueen and Miguel Androver at the turn of the millennium, the young designer was also enrolled at Central St Martins, where he added, She saw the collection with which I graduated and invited me to join her at Chloe back in 2001. When Philo was maternity leave in 2005, he was amongst the design team that took about that year's fall collection was shown. He returned to the runway a year later, following Philo's exit and shortly before his move to Miu Miu. Born in 1972, he spent much of his childhood and adolescence in his grandmother's tailoring shop. It was an obsession with music and not fashion that first inspired him to leave home and move to the UK. During the years when the music scene in Manchester was thriving, it pushed me to imagine another universe, seemingly distant, where I could express myself like never before. As well as his highly successful career in fashion design, Apuladza is also a noted collector of other designers' work. His first obsession was Comme des Garçons, but jewels in his archive include many rare pieces by other designers, such as Georgie Jamahoto, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Martin Margiela, Vivienne Westwood and Isimayaki. In his message he added, Franco Moschino has always been among them. Having access today to these raw memories, walking through these corridors overflowing with history, just waiting to be heard. Here I am touching quotes that I have only seen in magazines that have been invaluable and will serve as a compass on a journey I have only just begun. That journey's first month mark will be reached on the 22nd of February and one challenge facing him en route, unlike his richly resourced farmer employees at LVMH and Richemont, is a relatively small ship will be run. It must be operated tightly in order to stay afloat. For a designer so steeped in the transformative potential of innovation through design, however, that factor could be as much of a help as a hindrance. Join me for the next Fashion Mode show where I'll be continuing on with the latest fashion news from inside and outside of the capital of fashion. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the latest fashion news on forcmagazine.com and at Force Magazine on Facebook and Instagram. You can also keep up to date with the latest shows on iTunes and Spotify. Until the next time, 
Keep your fashion mode on.